0: Here's Dr. DeRose.
1: Welcome to American Indian Living. I am Dr. David DeRose. We're speaking today with another great guest. Actually, we've got several lined up in today's edition of American Indian Living. If you can't tell by the background ambiance, the the noise around us, the excitement around us, This is another show that we're recording from the National Congress of American Indians in Phoenix, Arizona. We're recording in October of 2016, and across from me right now is Shannon Hawkins. Shannon, it's great to have you with us. Thank you. Shannon, you are representing Haskell Indian Nations University. You've been here at their booth in the exhibit area. Tell us a little bit about Haskell.
2: Haskell Indian Nations University is a tribal college. So we have about 150 different tribes represented at Haskell at any given semester, and they range from all over the United States. For instance, I am from Anchorage, Alaska, and my family comes from up north, and so we have several students throughout the semester from all over.
1: Wow. So where actually is Haskell located?
2: It's located in Lawrence, Kansas, right down the hill from uh, KU, University of Kansas.
1: So basically, this school for Native Americans has been there and operational for many years, right?
2: Yes, 132 years.
1: That is amazing, 132 years. How long have you been connected with Haskell?
2: I've uh, came as a transfer student August of 2014. So I've been there for two years and about ready to finish my third year with my bachelors in business administration.
1: Now this is unusual in my experience. Most of the folks we meet representing universities are faculty or people in the recruitment area. But you actually are a senior student there, and they have you representing the school. What's the connection there?
2: Haskell is wanting to get out and get more visible within uh native communities, and so, to my understanding, Haskell has a membership with n c a i and they're wanting to just go out and try to um let people remember Haskell's still around and for them to try to get their nieces, nephews, children, grandchildren. Uh, to consider Haskell for their higher education. It is very affordable for students to go there. And then also another one of my roles at Haskell, I'm involved with several different clubs on campus. And so that also gave me the opportunity, because I'm so involved at campus, um, they asked me to represent the students' perspective at these conferences.
1: Very nice, very nice. So you've been to other conferences or powwows and other things representing Haskell, or is this kind of the first for you?
2: This is the first conference setting that I've gone to. I've gone to AHEC Student Conference um, the last two years, which was in Albuquerque two years ago, and then Minneapolis last year. Mm -hmm. And AHEC is American Indian Higher Education Consortium. And they have... An area for all the tribal colleges to come together and compete in academics and um, traditional games.
1: Okay. So basically, you've been representing Haskell, getting the message out there that Haskell not only still exists, but it's a thriving school, and they're doing great in the educational arena. I'm assuming that's the case if you're representing them. You've had a good experience there?
2: Yes, I've had an excellent experience at Haskell, and I'm so thankful for the many opportunities that I've had to go out and advocate for Haskell.
1: So tell me a little bit uh, from your perspective, Shannon, students today have lots of opportunities for education. If we talk to the Native students who are tuning into the show or their parents or their grandparents, uh, aunties or uncles, whatever it might be, give us a little perspective on the finances because I know that's a daunting subject when it comes to many Native youth. I mean, some may have tribal benefits, but others are really struggling to find the funds.
2: Um, a little bit with my experience uh, transferring from a bigger school to a smaller school, um, that was one of my motivational factors of transferring out to Haskell was how inexpensive it was. And then one suggestion that I always give to uh, potential students that are checking out Haskell is investing an hour a week looking out for scholarships for Native students. Huh. There are so many um, scholarships out. And available for students, they just need to take a little bit of time to write down their personal statements and their educational goals and their career goals and applying for the scholarships wherever they may be. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. even if it's a small one, anywhere from 100 to 500, like all that stuff adds up. So.
1: So if apart from scholarships... Can you give us a, a range for what it might cost for a, a year or a semester at Haskell?
2: Uh, the cost of going to Haskell is $715 for students to live on campus. That includes everything. Room board, the classes, if you're a freshman sophomore, your books are covered, and your meals, everything. $715 per semester.
1: Really? That is amazing. I know.
2: And that's to live on campus. If you were to live off campus, I believe the cost is 215 but also living off campus, it's, it's pretty spendy. Bills uh-huh. add up quickly.
1: Okay. That is incredible. Mm-hmm. So $715 per semester, and you can get much or all of that paid for with scholarships often.
2: Even fast, but if families qualify.
1: Okay. Now, is it exclusively a Native school? Can someone who's not Native go there?
2: No, it's just a Native school, so you have to be uh, tribally enrolled with a federally recognized tribe.
1: Okay. And then what is the student population there at Haskell?
2: Um, We have currently this semester about 860 students, and it ranges around 800 students every semester.
1: Boy, this is great. I mean, this is great to get the word out there. Now, most people don't think of Lawrence, Kansas, being a place where you're going to find lots of Native American opportunities.
2: But there are several out there, especially in Lawrence, Kansas, at Haskell. We uh, even have a partnership at Haskell with KU. Mm-hmm. And so after your first semester, as long as you have a 2.5 GPA and you have interest of any classes up at KU, you could take one class at KU every semester as long as you maintain the GPA, and if there's any added costs, especially for, like, the science classes, you pick up the extra fees for that cost. So it's not it's not a bad setup.
1: Mm-hmm. That is very nice. So basically, there are lots of opportunities there. Is it a pretty tough school to get into because of the financial uh, benefits of a, a student going there?
2: I, I don't think it's... I don't think we have much of a waiting list. Mm-hmm. The... ACT score or uh-huh. SAT score, you have to have uh, 18 to get into Haskell.
1: Okay, for an ACT of 18 to get into Haskell. Yes. And I forget what the average is, but I want to say, if I already guessed 22 or something? Yeah,
2: I was going to say 22 as well. Oh,
1: okay, good. I'm not It's a guess for both of us, but since yeah. we're in the same ballpark. So tell us a little bit more from a student's perspective. I mean, there's lots of educational opportunities. Some tribes will, you know, underwrite the entire cost of a student's education. Uh, we, we just uh, actually had an informal meeting with uh, the current NCAI president, uh, Brian Cladisby. And uh, Brian was saying how his tribe there in the Northwest, they will pay the entire educational cost of their students. Now, I know that's not every tribe, but there's a number that do that. So for a student who says, well, listen, it doesn't matter that it's inexpensive at uh, at Haskell, I can go to the public university not far from me and my tribe will cover the bill. Why would someone think about Haskell as far as the uh, educational or social advantages? Um,
2: A big social advantage is getting to know so many other tribes. Uh Um, Me coming up from, my family is from North Alaska and for me to come down like I didn't know much about the tribes down on 48 like I know the big ones but other than that I didn't know much of the structure the social settings with all the other tribes and so Haskell gives that opportunity to start building those connections with other tribes Mm -hmm. and start building friendships that will last a lifetime.
1: That's exciting. So you really feel much more connected with Indian country by having attended Haskell.
2: Yes. And I was pretty involved with all of our cultural activities back home in Alaska. And so I'm sharing that with other Alaska students who weren't as involved with the culture and also sharing that with several other students who are interested.
1: So that's exciting. So really, this is uh, an opportunity to really stay, if you will, in the heart of Indian country while you're at school.
2: Correct, yes.
1: You know, this is one of the challenges as we've had a number of people representing educational institutions on American Indian living over the years. We often hear about the challenges that Native youth have when they go away to a, a secular college and there's really, they don't feel supported as a, a Native young man or, or woman and they kind of feel like sometimes they're divorced from their culture. You haven't had that sense at all at Haskell, I sense.
2: No, I haven't had that sense of being detached from culture. I mean, as any other university, if you go and travel a long ways, you do get a little bit of homesick. But as long as you're, you still have the mindset of education is a key and you might be temporarily away from home for a little bit, home will always be there. And Mm -hmm. You're furthering your education to better help our communities back home.
1: So what is the key message you try to communicate? If a student comes by the booth here at NCAI, the Haskell, uh, Haskell Indian Nations University booth, and they say to you, well, actually, let me ask you that. What kind of questions are you getting from uh, people who are college age or, or high school age?
2: A lot of them are asking, what do they have to offer me? or what other um, programs are nearby um, that we could get at Haskell. Mm-hmm. And so there are several different clubs. We have a good basketball and volleyball and track and field and cross-country um, students and golf. And so there's several different programs that students can get in- involved in.
1: Mm-hmm. So... What kind of majors are offered there? You're doing a business major, right? Mm-hmm. What other things does Haskell offer?
2: So they offer four four-year programs. There is American Indian Studies with several different emphasis underneath there. There's Environmental Science and Elementary Education and then Business Administration.
1: Okay. And if you were to give me a feel for percentages, is, a, is business a pretty popular major there or is that uh, a small school at, at Haskell?
2: So the business program, I believe, graduates the most students from there, and then the next ranking would be American Indian Studies, and then it's a close tie between Environmental Science and Education.
1: Okay, so I think Education's obvious. You know, people are studying there to be teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the business is pretty obvious. But what would someone do with a a degree in American Indian studies? What is that really preparing them for?
2: I see a lot of students who are studying uh, AIS go into tribal law. Mm. I see them go into social work. Uh And those are the two main ones that jump right at me on where they go.
1: Very helpful. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I want to... Thank you, Shannon. You've pulled away from a busy program here at uh, NCAI, and you've shared with us a firsthand look at Haskell Indian Nations University. If someone wants to get more information about the school, is there an easy way to do that?
2: Uh, I would suggest them checking out Haskell, H-A-S-K-E-L-L dot E-D-U.
1: Okay, so simply H-A-S-K-E-L-L dot E-D-U. Is the website, mm-hmm. and they can get all the information they need. Yes. Any final words of encouragement to a student, maybe a high school student, who's wondering whether they should go to college or not?
2: If you're thinking about college, look at your options. Don't, don't be afraid to move away from home for a little bit. You'll always go back home, or your roots will always be there. Um, And then another encouraging factor that I have for the parents, the moms, the dads, the grandma, grandpas, aunts, uncles. Encourage your students to go off and get an education. Encourage them. Check up on them and making sure they're doing well.
1: Okay, very good. Thanks so much. That's Shannon Hawkins. We're going to step away just for a couple minutes. We've got another great guest lined up in today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Don't go away. We will be right back.
0: Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose.
1: Welcome back to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're continuing an exciting program that we're recording from the venue of the National Congress of American Indians here in Phoenix, Arizona. It's October 2016. And the guest across from me is no stranger to the world of broadcasting. Frank Blanquette is the Chief Content Manager for First Nations Experience Television Channel. Frank, it's great to have you with us.
5: It's great to be here. Thank you so much.
1: One of the things that immediately caught my eye as I was walking through the exhibit area is your exhibit. I mean, you've got a very impressive exhibit since uh, this is not television. Tell folks uh, over the air what they would have seen had they walked by your booth at NCAI.
5: Well, you have a traditional step and repeat, which is what would be present at a Hollywood red carpet event, um, with the FNX, PBS, and KVCR logos on it. You have the lights that are hitting the backdrop. And if, if people were to stand in front of the, the step and repeat, you know, they'd be beautiful light, ready for an interview. Uh-huh. And, and we have a television set that's playing what you would see on the FNX channel.
1: Very nice. So FNX, I know, is basically a household word in many places in the U.S. Many First Nation peoples actually are tuning into you regularly, but others are hearing about it right now on the radio for the first time. Tell us a little bit about the history of your network.
5: Well, FNX, First Nations Experience, launched in the LA area, the Los Angeles area, in September of 2011. And it's a PBS-affiliated channel that is dedicated 24-7 to Native American and world indigenous cultures. We launched through a grant with the San Manuel Band of Mission Indians in San Bernardino, California. And um, in the L.A. area, when we first launched in 2011, we were um, over-the-air rabbit-ear antennas. Mm. A year from then, we were picked up by DirecTV and Rise and Fios. And a year from that, we started being broadcast nationally with a station in uh, Illinois, a station in Bemidji, Minnesota and a station in Fairbanks, Alaska became our first. Oh, and KET in Northern California, those became our first national affiliates. Since then, in 2014, we we launched via the PBS Public Television Satellite System. Mm-hmm. So that made us available very easily via the Public Television Satellite, which means that any cable provider across the country has access to FNX and can give us a channel designation in any specific area, but FNX is the first and only nationally distributed television station in the U.S. with a 24-7 focus on Native American and world indigenous cultures.
1: Wow. So really, you, in a sense, are kind of a brother and sister relationship, sibling relationship with Native Voice One, which is the radio arm that's also uh, distributed through the uh, public broadcasting system. In a sense, yes. We became aware of uh, the
5: the radio station when we were planning for for the broadcast of FNX, and so we were wondering why it hadn't been done before. Obviously, with Native Voice, once on the radio side, mm-hmm. you know they had they were finding success, and so we just thought that that uh, this is what you see on FNX is not. Native American stories. It's American stories. Mm. You know, it's these. You, you see in in the elders, you see your own grandparents, whether you're you're Native or not. And and what we find with the channel is that it's popular amongst all communities, mm-hmm. not just the Native communities. And we have when you think PBS, we have a full kids block. We have a f- cooking shows. We have talk shows. We have reality TV shows. We have all types of different programs, feature films, uh, short films, everything that you can imagine on a PBS channel, it just happens that the people that you see on screen are Native or Indigenous. Mm-hmm.
1: So now are you using some content that was originally developed for other PBS affiliates, or is a lot of this your own programming that you're developing?
5: We acquire a lot. Filling 24 hours a day, every day, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's a task. And so we... we um, being part of the PBS system, we, we launched with a lot of PBS programming. We reached out to, uh, Aboriginal People's Television Network in Canada, Maori TV in New Zealand, Aboriginal People's Television Network in Australia. Mm. So we, we looked at what they had done. We took some of their programming that was PBS compliant and we applied it to FNX and we built a lot of our content. Mm-hmm. Here while we're, we're at the NCAI conference, uh, in Phoenix, we already shot five stories while we were here wow. with the sixth one that's, that's in the works. And so, you know, we, we build content, we acquire content, and we're always looking for, for content. We work with a lot of independent producers that are building content. We work with Vision Maker Media, who's been building content for PBS, for 20 years, I believe, and mm-hmm. so we looked to a lot of the people that were already finding success within public television that were building content maybe for the month of November, Native American Month, mm-hmm. in, in the PBS National Broadcast, and we, with us, it's, it's Native American Month all, all year long, so. Okay. so, but we did look to those entities, you know, those trusted entities uh, to be able to find content, and we, we build a lot.
1: Now, one of the things I noticed that was generating interest here, in fact, when I went by your booth, there was a, a Native a young person, a high school student, who was very interested in broadcasting. And, I mean, your booth just kind of drew them in. Do you find a lot of Native young people looking at careers in broadcasting?
5: You do. You do. Um, close to us, we're located in San Bernardino, California. And close to us, uh, there's river in Riverside, there's Sherman Indian School. Mm-hmm. And those kids have an interest in visiting the station. Um, we've had... Uh, visitors from, uh, you know, Los Angeles has the biggest, largest concentration of native people from all over the country and all mm-hmm. over the world in the Los Angeles, Long Beach areas, um, part of the relocation area and stuff like that. And so, um, we've had a lot of kids visit the station and they do great on camera. We are very community oriented that when mm-hmm. you watch FNX, you see a lot of community members that are on the station. And we've said we have people say as much that that with FNX, you don't only see politicians and actors and actresses. You see your family reflected, your cousin, mm. your mom, your brother, your sister. And that's true with FNX because we give the community a mic. And so when kids come in, you'd be surprised how natural they are in front of the camera. And it's mm-hmm. it's just really, really great to
1: see that and to be able to give them a voice. So... Let's talk now about the production side of things. This show goes out on 150 stations. There's a lot of uh, Native youth, Native elders. I mean, the whole range of, of Native demographics. And then many who are not Native that tune into the show, just like your station. And some of them are saying, wow, I never heard of First Nations Experience television channel. I wonder if they could use some of the content that I'm either developing or want to develop. Is there an opportunity if someone is interested in putting together some stuff for television? Is FNX a place that they should be considering? Absolutely. We're, we
5: are constantly looking for content. And we're based close to Los Angeles, so we can't be everywhere. We, we try and shoot as many stories as we can when we travel and when we're in different communities. Uh, we were just in North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, New Orleans, Baltimore, um, and this is all within, you know, the last month wow. that we've been traveling, but we, we can't be everywhere and nobody can tell their own stories like a specific community can, you know, and, and we just want to be that venue that that can uh, augment their efforts to tell their story and and tell it on a national scale give that that broadcast um entity that's been missing for so long in within the native and indigenous communities uh but if you're a filmmaker that's that's working on on a production if you're if you're a writer that that is working on a production we want to be a broadcaster for for native and indigenous Productions mm-hmm. and uh, that we, we want people to know that there's if you visit the fnx.org website, there's an info link where they can find out how they could submit content, finished content to, to uh, the, the station.
1: Great. So, one point you know, common point for anybody to get information about the station or the channel or to find out where they can uh, view it. Would be on the website, is that right? Yes. The, the website houses a map that
5: lets you know whether it's in your area um, because it's distributed within the PBS system if your local PBS uh, is able to carry it or it gives you information so that you can let your PBS station know that you would like to see um, FNX over their air on their um, specific station The other thing is that you could also call your local cable provider because Mm -hmm. FNX is already available to them. Mm. FNX is is available from from the East Coast to the West Coast across the United States via the public television distribution system. It's a free public station and any cable provider – or, or satellite provider can give FNX a channel designation.
1: Well, Now, have there been instances where an individual in a community will have contacted a cable provider and they've said sure and they've put the station on?
5: I know that with uh, Utah, the uh-huh. Utah Education Network that broadcasts FNX uh, throughout the state of Utah, I know that the community... Uh, reached out to them and asked if FNX would be available in the area. And and they actually went through and did a survey online, Mm -hmm. uh, had samples of what FNX looked like and how the community would react to FNX. And it was a very, very positive response. Mm -hmm. So we know that with Utah Education Network specifically, that they did listen to what the community was saying before they launched nationally with the FNX feed.
1: Excellent. So the website is simply FNX.org? Yes. Okay. Well, that's easy. Frank, as we're winding up, there's a lot of people saying, Boy, I'd love to watch this content. Uh, I'm not a cable subscriber. I don't have Direct TV. Where would you point them? Well if if you visit again the FNX.org website, pretty soon we're
5: gonna launch an online component. It should be up Excellent. by the first quarter of twenty seventeen. And there's also links up top, so our Facebook has some of the links. And up top, you'll see the YouTube link. You can watch a lot of stuff there, specifically our Vimeo link.
1: Oh, really? So basically, I can just go onto the website, fnx.org, and I can actually watch content through the Vimeo link or through a YouTube link. Or directly on the website. And and we're
5: working on getting more and more content up on the fnx.org website.
1: So everybody can access some of your content, at least if they can access the internet. Absolutely. Great. Great. Frank, our time has just about slipped away. Any other messages you'd like to give to our listening audience?
5: I just want to say that that thank you for having us, and it's an exciting time to know that... Uh, Native communities have such venues to be able to tell their stories on, and we're we're just happy to be that national television venue
1: for, for the Native communities. Thanks so much, Frank. That's Frank Blankett, Chief Content Manager for First Nations Experience Television Channel. I'm Dr. DeRose. We're going to step away just for a couple of minutes. We'll be coming back with more from the National Congress of American Indians in Phoenix, Arizona. Don't go away.
0: American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre recorded broadcast, please call 1 800 775 HOPE. That's 1 800 775 4673.
3: So, you want to be a hero? Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders
4: and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here?
0: You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose.
1: Welcome back to our second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. With me across from the table here in the exhibit hall at the National Congress of American Indians, which is being held in Phoenix, Arizona, October of 2016, is a good friend of the show and of mine personally, uh, Dr. Rodriguez, Rodrigo Rodriguez from International BioCare and Dr. Rodriguez, you joined me earlier in the conference. And I'll just be honest with you. I mean, you know this story. But after I did the interview, a prominent Native uh, leader came up to me. And he said, so did you have Dr. Rodriguez talk about modified citrus pectin? And I, I had to be honest. I said, no, we we hadn't even spoken about talk that. Talk about it, right. So one of the, the specific uh, really, instructions we have right from the heart of Indian country is tell the folks about modified citrus pectin. Why was he so excited about this compound?
6: Well, probably because he has lived the results that you can obtain with, a, with such a product. But it all comes from a very important fact that we're living in an environment that's filled with inflammation. Mm. Most of uh, modern life living leads to inflammation. Insomnia, constipation, intestinal problems, uh, the foods that we eat, the, the, the products that we consume, the chemicals that are in all our foods and food supply in general, mm-hmm. and uh, a very important factor, sugar. Okay. Sugar is a very, very important factor. You know, sugar doesn't, uh, when, when we eat sugar, sugar does not circulate in the blood as such. It cannot circulate that way. It has to be attached to a protein. And when it attaches to a protein, it creates a molecule which is called a glycoprotein. Now, these glycoproteins are seen by the body as a foreign entity. Hmm. They're not really recognized as a normal thing. So they tend to react against it with a little bit of inflammation. But if you eat sugar day in and day out... Every time, and and we're really assaulted by by sugar. Mm -hmm. Everything that we eat. I mean, I I, I even laugh at people that say, you know, doctor, I I have a very healthy breakfast. I have a cereal in the Mm -hmm. morning. And I said, have you you read the label? No, I haven't. It has sugar. Mm -hmm. Even the ones that claim to be healthy and fiber-rich and so forth have sugar. Sugar has become... Such a common thing in, in our life that we don't even realize how much uh, sugar we take. Same with salt. I could say the same about salt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, the fact is that sugar is going to give us all this chronic little inflammation. Just another factor very important. Omega-6 oils. Okay. Omega-6 oils are vegetable oils, shortening uh, all these products that that we buy that are very inexpensive and that we have been consuming, probably since the 1920s, America never used vegetable oils to cook. It cooked with lard hmm. or with butter. Mm-hmm. We always used natural oils. Never used any of these things that come from from a factory. But the fact is that now we're using them, and we're using them in huge amounts. Mm-hmm. Everything that you buy, everything that has all this shiny foil thing is going to have some of that, lots of sugar, lots of salt, lots of everything you should not be eating Mm. in the first place. That's not for human consumption.
1: But we develop a taste for those, at least in our culture. Most of us grew up that way. And I know you and I may have kind of broken out of that cycle to some extent. But that's how I was raised, you know, eating those foods. And we all thought they were very palatable.
6: Yes, they're uh, they're absolutely palatable. And actually, in in these companies, they have people that work on it.
1: Mm -hmm.
7: What
6: they call the bliss point. What is going to be very good for you? Uh, What is uh, something that's going to... Make you open up your eyes and say, "Wow, this is good." Hmm. You see, they they work on that and they they play with the sugar and salt and fat and everything, so it feels very tasty. Mm-hmm. But it is not okay. So don't fool yourself. I always tell people: if you have to read the label, you shouldn't eat it in the first
1: place. Okay.
6: Because if you take an orange or if you take an apple, they don't have a label.
1: No, no, no ingredient label on my no, apple.
6: No, not at all. So. That is one of the big problems of of today. And that's why we are living with chronic inflammation every single day that keeps going on Mm. and on and on. And after some time, it has already uh, used up all the available energy of your pancreas, of your brain, of your uh, kidneys. And we start having health problems and we wonder where they're coming from. And if you test for inflammation markers, all of them are going to be elevated because we're doing all these things.
1: So in physicians' offices, we sometimes look at different markers of inflammation. Probably one of the oldest ones that I know of is the sedimentation rate. Uh, C-reactive protein is a newer one. Are those the two main ones that have been used, or are, there are others? Those are the
6: simplest. They're the mm-hmm. simplest ones. Uh, okay. uh, C-reactive protein, for example, now you can ask for what's called the ultra-sensitive mm-hmm. uh, uh, PCR, which is a lot more sensitive and will give you an idea of what's going on. Same with uh, sedimentation rate. I mean, doctors don't even do it anymore. Mm. They don't pay any attention to that, but we have to turn our eyes to that. There's a very important marker, which is homocysteine. Oh, okay. Okay, that's a very important one. And, and this is particularly goes up on people that have these huge uh, animal protein diets, mm. particularly steak and so forth. People mm-hmm. that have a 16-ounce steak, uh, those are the people that, that are in trouble with the homocysteine. So what we have to do is we have to be more conscientious about this ourselves, mm-hmm. because our doctors are not going to ask
1: Okay, fair okay. enough.
6: But if we go to the doctor, we have to say, doctor, can you do any of these markers? There are now some newer, sophisticated markers, which unfortunately at this point are still expensive. Like mm-hmm. like CEA was in, in its time very expensive, but now it's just a, a, a very common test.
1: Now, CEA would be a cancer marker, That right? would be
6: a cancer marker, but I remember when it began, you would have to think twice before ordering it because it would be in the hundreds of dollars. Okay. And, and uh, so is these uh, newer things, like uh, Galactin 3. Hmm. Okay, it's uh, Galactin, like Galaxy Galactin 3. And you can Google it, and you're going to be impressed on how much information we have about it. Hmm. How, how many things have been published about it? this inflammatory marker. Uh But when we live in chronic inflammation, there are a lot of functions that will not happen as they should in our lives. You see, we need to have well-being. And Mm. well-being is defined by organs in the body that function very well, that do what they have to do, and they don't have to be using the energy or the resources in fighting something we're doing wrong.
7: Mm, mm -hmm. You see,
6: they should be helping us to fight with the environment, with everything that's, uh, all the challenges that life uh, throws at us, but not having to fight with what we uh, conscientiously do, like sugar or salt, so forth, let alone tobacco smoking, Mm. which is terrible, and, uh, or excess alcohol. So. The the way we eat, the way we live, it's it's important. And again, as I said in other radio shows, we do it because we think we can get away with it. Hmm. Sometimes out of ignorance. People don't understand that sugar is toxic, in one word. So we should be aware of uh, refined sugar. We should take it very conscientiously, very limited, uh, small amounts, and make sure that we are in check with that. And prefer... More complex carbohydrates.
1: So the more complex carbohydrates are going to be your whole grains, your beans. You're going to find them there. But I'm still a little hung up on this, uh, this sugar concept. So on one hand, we're talking about the refined sugar. Does that apply to other things like uh, honey or agave?
6: No, 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 no. no. Uh, let, me, let me tell you something that I always tell people. And I, I, I teach at the university. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I put on the table... You just mentioned it, uh, agave, molasses, Mm -hmm. honey, wheat, just uh, whole wheat, Uh uh, whole rice, all these things. And I always uh, tell the the, the pupils, take a good look and tell me what you see in common. Tell me one thing that everyone shares. uh, There's no exception. Mm -hmm. They look at the thing and for someone it takes some time to, to realize it's the color. Ah. If you think of it, everything that we have mentioned is brown. Uh-huh. Most natural things that contain high amounts of carbohydrates and, or sugars will be brown. Huh. And that is because of the presence of chromium. I see. And if you read a little bit about how we do, what you can do to help to metabolize better these sugars, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. chromium will pop up probably as the number one ingredient. This is a mineral. Very important for the metabolic uh, movement of of carbohydrates in the body. Mm-hmm. Well, it happens to be in all of these things. Interesting. But for some reason, we hate the brown color and we refine it, we bleach it, so we can have white sugar, white flour, white rice, white wheat, white everything.
7: Mm.
1: Yeah, that is a very, very interesting concept because I can remember some years ago, when they were looking at this and trying to improve diabetic control. And uh, it was a large study out of China at the time where they actually supplemented with chromium and showed dramatic improvements in the ability to metabolize sugar. But it's Correct. not just a Chinese issue, is it?
6: No, no, no. It's, it, it's a reality. But uh, again, when you, when you look at things, you say, well, chromium is already there. Mm-hmm. It's just that we removed it. And now we're stuck with these so-called refined carbohydrates that are not good for you. They're unhealthy.
1: Mm -hmm. So you've made this connection, Dr. Rodriguez, between the artificially sweetened things with sugar and also salt. Now, I don't know that I've ever thought of salt as a pro-inflammatory compound. I mean, I know it causes fluid retention, but does salt actually worsen inflammation directly? No,
6: I was just mentioning it because it's the other big problem that we have.
1: Definitely, we're not going to be uh, encouraging people to drink more salty beverages or uh, consume more salty foods. And you and I, I know, have talked in the past about high blood pressure and some of the concerns there is, at least in that arena, with the uh, high-sodium diet. Well, we want to move from this big concern now about inflammation to things we can do to address inflammation. And I, I'm sure part of the answer has got to be modified citrus pectin because that's one of the things we want to talk about. But, but paint a little bit bigger picture for us uh, in the minute or so we have before we have to step away for a break.
6: Well, there are several good things uh, with the food that are going to help us to, to fight inflammation. Actually, our food is our medicine. Okay. Okay. So it's just that we have to take it as it is, that it was created and uh, as close as it was created as possible. If it goes through a factory, it might not be the best food that we can consume. Mm -hmm. So we have to make sure it comes from the field, make sure that it comes from, from the original source and that we have it as close as possible. And then we're going to start getting answers.
1: Well, we need to go to some of those answers, but before that, we do have to go to a break. Okay. So we are going to step away just for a couple of minutes. I'm Dr. David DeRose, Dr. Rodrigo Rodriguez with me, Medical Director of International Biocare Hospital down there in Tijuana, Mexico. He is going to stay with us and share some amazing things you can do to decrease inflammation in your body. Don't go away. We'll be back with our final segment. Stay tuned.
0: Here again is Dr. DeRose.
1: You're back with Dr. David DeRose for the final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. I am in the exhibit hall in Phoenix, Arizona, for the National Congress of American Indians. October 2016 is when we're recording. Across from me, Dr. Rodrigo Rodriguez, MD, the Medical Director of International Biocare Hospital and Medical Center. Dr. Rodriguez has been walking us through the big concerns that we have in the medical community today with inflammation and how you should be concerned about that. Rodrigo, you just mentioned how one of the things we can do is eat more of those whole plant foods, get away from those crinkly bags and shiny uh, packaging but there are also some supplements that are being used to help with inflammation. Tell us a little bit about that.
6: Very definitely. Well, one, one thing I want to, to to say before I jump into that part is that sure. inflammation is very important because it's the origin of all the diseases that we all are afraid of. Okay. Cancer, heart disease, high blood pressure, uh, Alzheimer's, all of them begin with uh, with inflammation produced by all the things that we have talked about, mm-hmm. uh, chemical sugar, etc. So. We have to fight it. How are we going to fight it? Well, first of all, by having a wholesome, natural, organic, a good diet in one word. Okay. Good eating. Okay. Uh, I hate the word uh, diet because it implies two things. That you're going to be limiting what you uh, eat. Okay. And the other one because it it's, uh, has a temporary sign to mm-hmm. it. How long am I going to be on the diet? I'm talking about good eating. For life. For life. Okay. Uh, because you, you want to be healthy all your life. Now... Uh, pectin has been around us for a long time. It is in the white part of an orange or, or citrus fruits, but in the orange it's particularly good.
1: So when you're when you're peeling that orange, that white stuff that sometimes adheres to the fruit is pectin rich.
6: That's pectin rich, very rich. The other one is apple.
1: Oh, apple, apple has okay. big
6: amounts of of pectin.
7: Uh-huh.
6: It's very rich in pectin. And let me give you this uh, this number: three apples a day will give you enough pectin and enough fiber for 24 hours.
1: Really? Okay. So
6: uh, the saying is uh, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. I think three apples a day would do a good job.
1: Okay. But three
6: oranges will. Hmm. But you have to peel the orange and take the wedges because that's where the pectin is.
7: Mm-hmm. You see,
6: that brings me back to my grandmother. She always said, if God meant us to have orange juice, he would have made it like a coconut. You drill a hole and drink the okay, thing. Okay. So if not, that means that you peel your orange and you eat the whole orange with, with all this uh, wedge uh, uh. and all this white in it, which is the pectin. Now, pectin, through all this sophisticated new science behind inflammation and markers and so on that we have talked about, has proven, to be very effective in bringing down all those markers. Mm. And uh, uh, modify uh, pectin is what we're using nowadays as a supplement. Five grams a day. It's a, it's a very whitish powder. Mm-hmm. It tastes like the white thing of an orange. It's mm. very palatable. It's absolutely n- natural. I mean, you, you can take the whole canister if you want. But the normal uh, amount is about 5 grams a day diluted in a little bit of water. Uh, For cancer patients, we give uh, as much as uh, 3 times that, which is 15 grams a day. But let me tell you something. Inflammation is the major cause of cancer therapy failure.
7: Hmm. How
6: many people go on chemotherapy or on cancer therapies and get no results? This is because there is inflammation in their bodies. Uh-huh. So you have to fight that. You have to bring it back to normal in order to be very uh, successful. Uh-huh. And this is going to change the way your body reacts to it. It's going to make your body work a lot better. Again, you're not fighting with the sugar that you put in, 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 in your coffee or the dessert you had after a meal. Now, you're fighting against cancer because you don't have to fight those things, those inflammatory uh, activities that you have in your body because of a poor diet. Mm -hmm. So, a good diet will be absolutely essential. It's going to be very important. Uh, uh, In over 30 years, the most successful people I have seen for cancer uh, therapies are those that were willing to change their ways, Mm -hmm. to change their lifestyles, and they, they get Wonderful, absolutely wonderful results that are very, Mm. uh, almost hard to believe. But when you start doing this in your life, you're going to see how well it goes. And Mm. and again, uh, modified pectin is palatable, it's simple, it's uh, everything I can say about it.
1: Now, as a physician, is it going to be easy for me to tell my patients to get modified citrus pectin? Can they buy it online or where do they get it from?
6: They can buy it online. They can uh-huh. buy it online, they can call the hospital and they will contact you with International Health uh, and Education, which is uh, where you will get it from, and they will ship it to you. It's a product from the United States. Actually, the, the, pro- the, the pectin is, uh, comes from Israel.
1: Oh, it does.
6: Israel has a huge amount of citrus crops, uh-huh. and they use some of these to produce this, this pectin. Okay. Uh, and it's a very high quality. Again, people love it, mm-hmm. actually. We, and they love the results. They can tell this is working for them.
1: So for the clinicians that are in the audience listening, you've said five grams a day. Mm-hmm. That's the recommended amount to start with. Do you give that as a single dose, or do you have a split? Do you give it as a
6: single dose? You can take it any time of the day. I Uh normally tell patients to take it with breakfast, but you can give it if you forget breakfast. Do it at lunch. It's very forgiving. It's not a drug.
7: Uh
6: It doesn't have any side effects, and uh, it, it, it is very simple to do. And anyone that has any questions or is interested, they can contact me if they enter the BioCare Hospital page. They can contact me and I will be happy to provide them with information.
1: Why don't we give that website again because you've been gracious in the past to let us know that folks can contact you? Give us that information.
6: That is biocarehospital.com. B I O Care Hospital.com.
1: Okay, so biocarehospital.com. You go to that website, and I actually just did it yesterday. Uh, Rodrigo, you had uh, done an earlier show with me here at uh, the National Congress of American Indians, and I actually got an email from a uh, a patient just yesterday. Uh, after I got back from you know recording here in this venue, it was uh, regarding a young man who had a lung teratoma, and they were wondering what to do. And I said, you know, I just had a guest on the radio show today, and uh, you know, here's the the link, and I gave him that link to BioCareHospital.com. So, you probably won't be seeing it if they responded right away, but some of your colleagues there, because you have a, a whole team there at the facility. We are a
6: whole team at the hospital, and uh, we follow all our emails and we answer them within 24 hours. And we have an 800 number so people can call us, talk to the doctor directly. There are no charges whatsoever. We just love to help people to get answers and to, and to take important decisions in life.
1: So now the 800 number I have in front of me is 1-800-701-7345. Is that that is the, correct. Okay. So if you're wanting to, if you don't have Internet access, you're listening to the show, they can actually call and speak with someone over the phone? Absolutely. So that number again, uh, 1-800-701-7345. So from the U.S. they can make that call? They can
6: call from the U.S., from Canada. Okay. Yes, absolutely. And... Uh, and the same way I like the old-fashioned things for food, I like it for this type of thing. So if you call, promise, you will not get a recording.
3: Okay. Never,
6: except if you call in the middle of night. But other than that, we always answer live, and we uh, take care of, of your questions and, and problems of people.
1: Well, and, and I don't uh, speak much Spanish. I can understand a few things. So when I went down and visited you a year ago... Uh, you know, I had some questions. How much am I going to understand? But I think it seemed like all your staff was bilingual. I mean, maybe it's, not to a person, but. It's, uh,
6: all this stuff is bilingual, and certainly the people on the phone are mm-hmm. going to be very helpful and are going to guide you through all the process of your question, of your product and need, of your medical need, whatever. We'll put you through with one of our physicians to talk directly and ask your questions.
1: Great. Well, I know modified citrus pectin is not the magic bullet, but if someone's looking at um, other anti-inflammatory compounds in addition to a whole plant foods diet, what other things are on your list there at International BioCare? The the
6: other one is very simple. It's uh, extra virgin olive oil. Oh,
1: really? Yes. That's actually anti-inflammatory. It's
6: very anti-inflammatory.
1: Okay, so whereas those refined oils, the corn oils, the safflower oils... They, those...
6: they go in the garbage can.
1: Okay, they but go... the extra virgin olive oil, you that's, actually that's, recommend? That's for
6: human consumption. That's what the Jesus had for, for meals. That's what we should be eating today.
1: Okay, fair enough. Hey, one other question. One thing that we talk a lot about is uh, turmeric as an anti-inflammatory. What do you think about that?
6: Uh, absolutely wonderful and absolutely good. And I think we're going to see more and more about it. Mm-hmm. So and I'm sure we're going to see products and supplements because it's a great thing.
1: Boy, you always give us great information and uh, it's wonderful to have you uh, Dr. Rodriguez. Thank you both for your commitment to health in Indian country, your presence here at the National Congress as well as joining us on American Indian Living.
6: Thank you very much for having
1: me. Before we leave, one last time, how can someone ask you or a member of your team a question?
6: They can email us. That's probably the best way. Just put an, e- an email, drop the question, and you're going to get an answer from one of our physicians.
1: Okay, and they can access you electronically simply by going to biocarehospital.com. We got it? That's correct. Thank you so much. We got to run, but thank you for joining us on today's edition of American Indian Living to each one of you who've been with us on this journey. To the National Congress of American Indians and some of the great experts who've been here. For all of us at American Indian Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health.
4: Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.